when we're vulnerable. Back in, back in the day of the Bible, in Jesus' time, this was a defenseless position. You were wide open. So what we're saying to God is when my arms are open wide, it means, God, I, I, am, I am making myself vulnerable to you. I am giving you my heart. I am giving you the best part of me. And, and that means we're completely open to what God wants for our lives. That no part of our body is, is protected. And I know that it feels weird that we feel like we need to be protected from God, but what the reality is is that we're trying to protect ourselves from God messing with us. We're trying to protect ourselves from God working in us in a way that we feel like might hurt us or might bring us pain or somehow might bring things up that we don't want to talk about, that we don't want to deal with. And so we don't want to, so we keep our arms down. We, we, we turtle a bit. We take a defensive position with God. We step back and we're just like, whoa, I don't want to get too serious about this. Because if I do, you may up changing my whole life. The truth is, is that the life that Christ has for you and for me is exponentially better than anything we're trying to protect. And the reality is, is that when you open yourself up to Open yourself up to Christ. It is not as though you are doing things alone. This verse says that I am yours and you're mine. What you go through in life, Christ goes through in life with you. When you are hurting, he is hurting with you. When you are celebrating, he is celebrating with you. I am yours. You are mine, he says. You know how I know that? The Bible tells us to, to treat each other in a certain way that when their people are rejoicing, you should rejoice with them. When people are mourning, you should mourn with them. Jesus would never ask us to do something that he is not doing him, himself. He partners with us for life. I dare you to be vulnerable with Jesus Christ. Allow him to infiltrate every part of you because every part of you can be better with Christ. Your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your children, your jobs, every part of your life can grow and be excellent with Christ. That's why he wants our whole life because he wants to make our whole life better. It's not as though he demands a sacrifice of your whole life. It's not he's saying, okay, well, after you've given me your whole life, and then I'm going to bless you. No, he's like, no, I want to bless every part of your life. That's why I want it all. Not because he needs it. Not because he's a, some sort of creator God that needs some sort of, needs some sort of ego boost from people who to serve him. He's just doing it for your benefit. He's like, allow me to infiltrate your life so that I can make each and every part extraordinary. So, Father, we come to you today and we thank you so much 
for reminding us of your goodness. Lord, I pray that we would be reminded that you walk with us wherever we go. And that we can trust you with our lives. Because you go with us every step of the way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. good to be with you today. In God's presence. I really do encourage you to show up in the next couple of weeks, especially to uh, the Baptist Church in our Canada Day service. It's significant that we as a community and community churches gather together and take time to worship together. Because it, it tells our community that we're not fighting with one another. It shows our community. The Bible says that they'll know that we're Christians by our love. And this is a way that we can express love to our community, to our leaders, to say, look, we may have a different way that we worship. We may believe little things differently about the Bible. But that does not mean that we're not brothers and sisters in Christ. And that God can use us as a church here in Bradford to do great things. Now, even if you don't live in Bradford, we are that expression. So I, we need you to come. We need you to be a part of that so that we can love brothers and sisters in our community and show our leaders that we're together in this. I have a very strong relationship with all of the, the other pastors and the churches that will be represented there. They are great men of God. They have great hearts and want to see people saved. They want to see Bradford change. They want to see our community change. We spend regular time praying for our community on a weekly basis. This past year, I've gotten together with these pastors, and we have walked our town streets praying for our community together. These are spirit-filled men that I'm walking around with praying for the community of Bradford. This is our opportunity to share in that, exp that expression on that day. So I encourage you to come. Don't take a day off. Deal? You didn't, no one said deal. Seriously. No one said deal. I said deal means you're supposed to, never mind. I'm moving on. Um, so yesterday was, uh, was pretty cool. I got to... Uh, officiate a wedding yesterday, and that's always uh, an interesting, uh, an interesting experience for me. It's always a little bit, um, it's always a little bit nerve-wracking for me. I got to tell you, as an, as a pastor, because uh, at, in this context right here, I'm rather comfortable. But when I'm dressed up, and I have to wear like suits and ties and stuff, and be official, uh, I feel as though I can stumble over my words because I don't want to mess it up. Because I've been to weddings, you know you've been to some weddings where maybe the person, the, the, the minister's kind of been a little bit like, eh, I don't think you should have done that, or that's a little bit weird, or I wouldn't have said it that way. So I'm extremely like conscious of not messing up someone else's wedding, because I feel as though they would remember if I did, right? You don't want to be the person who's just like, yeah, our wedding was great, but Pastor Shane was off his rock. 
So I just never want that. I just never want that memory. Um, well, well, I don't want anyone else to have that memory anyway. And so I always feel a little bit jittery. Because in that context, in a wedding context, there is a plan. There is a structure that people try and put in place, and they want that structure to be enacted. They want there to be a certain way to do things and a certain way to walk down here, and this is where we need to stand, and that shouldn't be there, and we want this down here and flowers over here and turn the lights on and sing and do this and do that. There's a plan. People have plans when they do that. Hardly anybody who's ever come to me saying, I would like to get married, but we don't care how we do it. <laughs> Just tell us what to do and we'll do whatever you want. No, most people come with some sort of preconceived idea of what they want to see happen. And so there's a structure, there's a way, there's a plan. And the problem is, is that you can plan and plan and be ready and think to yourself that you have all the T's crossed, all the I's dotted, and yet at the last moment, something will change. Thinking to yourself, I've got all of this covered. When Becky and I got married, there was a plan. Everybody knew the plan. And we had a plan. One of the things that we didn't plan was to pre-light the unity candles. If you don't pre-light the unity candles, you can light them, they'll go on fire, and then they burn out. So as we lit our unity candle and walked away from the unity candle, it burnt out. That's not a good sign when the unity candle burns out at your ceremony. What? Like, how significant? You're just thinking to yourself, the imagery. We didn't pre-light the candles. And now, every time I do a wedding ceremony, they have a unity candle. I'm like, you better pre-light the candles. Because I know how this goes. The other thing that I always tell people is that there's a little piece of the, of the, of the marriage license. There's a little square of the marriage license that the couple actually takes with them. They take it with them. And that is their proof that they are actually married. Well, the problem is, is that I've been a part of a couple weddings where people lose that piece of paper. And the problem is, that is the only piece of paper on the planet that can prove that they're actually married. So if they go and try and change their bank accounts, oh, well, do you have proof? No. Well, then no. <laughs> you don't get to change it. And so I've, I've heard of people who've left it in their suit pockets or they forgot it somewhere and then they go off and they just, it's just gone. And so the, the point is, I tell everybody, I said, this is what you have to do. Yesterday, that didn't happen. Yesterday, we were, I told them, you need to bring a pen to sign the registry, but make sure that you write with the pen before you sign the registry. Otherwise, sometimes new pens don't write. Right? Right, right? Well, the pen comes, it's quarter to 12, quarter after 12, it, it starts at 12.30, and I'm writing with the pen, thinking to myself, I'm, I'm pretty sure someone wrote with this. Nope. We go over and over for about five minutes trying to get this pen to work. This pen, this fancy, dancy, beaded, pillowed pen would not work. So we had to dismantle the pen. 
and insert another pen into the fancy pen to make it look like it was still fancy and yet not just your regular Bic pen. Because nobody wants a picture of you writing, right? It's got to be beaded pillow pen, you know? Like, it's got to be that pen. So we had to take, you know, we had to take, like, the ink thing out and put in a new one, and then it starts, and we're just, I'm just like, seriously? The wedding starts in 10 minutes, and this is what we're doing. You can make plans. And the problem, the problem with us making plans, and this is not a sermon about not making plans, but the problem with us making plans is that as much as that we can plan, as much as we can consciously think about every single little thing that we could possibly happen, something seems to twist, something seems to turn. Jonathan and Rebecca, just relax. Just calm down. Something can change at the last second, and, and it changes, and, it, and it's unforeseen. And, and, you know, we can kind of get worked up about those things, but there's just nothing that we can do about it. And the problem is, is that in our lives, we, we get very enamored with plans. We get very connected to the plans that we make. We want to know the plan. We want to know what's coming ahead in the future, don't we? I, I want to know what's going to happen in the future. Would I like to know what's going to happen in my life, you know, five years from now, ten years from now? Yeah, that'd be cool. Then I could know, then I could be ready, then I could, then I could take those steps that I need to take in order to, get to that, in order to get to that next step. And okay, well, if that's where I need to go, then this is what I need to do in order to get there. And so now I can plan. Now tomorrow I can start the plan because I know that I'm supposed to be there. And then I'll, I'll do this and I'll do this and I'll do this and I'll do this. The problem with that reality is that I'm not perfect. I can try and plan my life to make it end up the way that I think it should. But in the end, it's not going to work. Because they're my plans. And even if I get a glimpse of God's plans 10 years down the road, if I try and act God's plans with my methodology, it's not going to work. Because it's God's plans, and the way that he wants to take us there is up to him, not up to us. The path that he takes you on, the steps that you take, are not up to you. They're up to him. Because you think that the way to get from point A to point B is in a straight line. Well, just what's the quickest way to get there? Right? You ever driving somewhere and you think to yourself, well, how, what's the fastest way? go this way. It'll take another, you know, half an hour to 45 minutes. Well, it's only supposed to be a 15-minute drive, but it, it'll only take a little bit longer. Why don't we go that way? No one says that. No, no, we got to get there. Like, let's get there. Like, we need to get from A to B. Let's get to B. I'm an a. I want to I be a B. Problem is, is that that's God's plan for our lives is the very best plan, and what we might think is the plan won't work. It's very solemn. You guys are all feeling kind of like, oh, really? Man, I got to go rip up my daytimer now. Um, but I mean, we all see, you know that scripture verse, that Jeremiah 29, 11, right? Everybody knows, everybody knows that verse, and they just love it. They love it because it says the word plan in it. And, uh, and God talks about good plans. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, and I'll, to give you a future and a hope. And so he says, Jeremiah 29, 11. 
And he says, I've got, I've got great plans for you. Plans for a future. Plans to give you a hope. But the, the, a lot of times, and we think about the plans, and we get excited about the plans. But the, what we don't remind ourselves in this verse is, is that God says, I know the plans I have for you. He doesn't say, you know the plans. He doesn't say, I'm going to tell you the plans. He says, I know the plans. There's an element of trust there. He wants us to trust in him. He wants us to trust that he knows the plans. He wants your relationship with him to dictate how that plan is enacted. Plans are good. Structure is good. Absolutely. Plans are good. Structure is good. But there are some structures that are better than other structures. I have learned to trust Pastor Becky's structure in many, many parts of my life. Many, many, many parts of my life. Because her structure has turned out to be better than my structure. And when I trust that, it seems, it seems to work most of the time. But the problem is, is that when you trust somebody else's structure, that you relinquish control. Right? When you trust somebody else's plan, you relinquish control. And we like control. I like control. I like remotes. When I watch television, I want it to be in my hand. I want control. I don't want it to be in someone else's hand. I want it in my hand. I know how best to use the remote control. Nobody else can do it better than me. You can try and convince me otherwise, but you're wrong. I am amazing at remote controls. Any kind of remote controls, it doesn't matter what it is, I am amazing at it. I will figure it out. I am quicker and faster than you. Absolutely. And so the problem is, is that we relinquish control. But the pro again, when our, with our relationship with God, with the rest of our life, sometimes we think to ourselves, well, I just need control. I need to control this by a remote, and we love the control. And, and, and Ivan loves to be able to control the soundboard with his tablet and sing at the same time, and he loves it. Don't you, Ivan? Yes, I do. He loves the control. Everybody loves control. They like to be in control. They want to be able to say, yes, this is how we do it, and I just push this. And Did you see that? That was amazing. But if we don't relinquish control, then God's plans won't be enacted in our life. Because then we're controlling our plans. Then we think to ourselves, well, I'm going to be a chiropractor when I grow up. Okay, well, this is how I become a chiropractor. And maybe that's not the plan, but that's your plan. And we think to ourselves, okay, God, you need to get on board with my plans. And the truth is, is that we need to get on board with his plans. I'm going to give you a bunch of scripture verse, verses here about plans. Psalm 138, verse 8 says this. The Lord will work out his plans for my life. The Lord will work out. You mean I don't have to work it out? No. The Lord will work out his plans in my life. Your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. Don't abandon me, for you made me. Proverbs 16. Verse 1, we can make our plans, but the Lord gives the right answer. We can make our plans, but the Lord will give a right answer. 16 verse 9, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Proverbs 19, 21, you can make many plans, 
but the Lord's purpose will prevail. Are we getting the picture? Are we getting the picture? It is the Lord's plans. Now, it doesn't mean you're not allowed to dream. It doesn't mean you're not allowed to have passion. It doesn't mean you're not allowed to want things. But the reality is, is that we have to trust not just God, not just our relationship with us, with him, not just our destiny in heaven, but even our plans to live here on earth. Because God has plans for you living here on earth. Of course he has eternal plans for you, but he also has plans for you here on earth to do great and wonderful things on his behalf. But we have to be able to relinquish control. I, I, I have slowly become a very bad passenger in my life. I like to drive now, and there are times that if I'm sitting in the passenger seat, it takes everything within me not to say things about other people's driving, mostly Pastor John. <laughs> I try and be quiet and, and not take control, but I am used to being in the chair. I am used to being in the chair. The problem is, is that when I'm in that chair, there are other devices that need to be used. So if we need to use the GPS to change destinations, not only do I want to drive, but I want to change the GPS. But I can't change the GPS if I'm driving. It can be hard being a passenger. We have to trust the plans and the methods of the person in the driver's seat. We have to trust that. Christ wants you to trust those plans that he has for you. He wants you to trust that he knows exactly where you need to go. He knows exactly what you need to do. And he wants to help you every step of the way. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't say, okay, I want you to do this, and then I'll, I'll be back in five years, and, and, and hopefully you're there. He's like, I want you to do this. And buckle up, because this is the direction that we're going. He has plans for you. And then there's this other word called paths. So when we think about our future and we think about what the Bible has to say, there's, a, there's these key words, plans and paths. God, I just want to be on the right path. Am I on the right path? What's the path that you want to take with my life? What's the direction? Where am I going? What's the path? I want to be on the right path. How do I do this? A lot of times we'll take this word path and we think to ourselves that, that the direction or the path that we're going is about, and I've talked many times about this, the direction or the path in our life is really a, becomes about the dates and times and places and amounts in our life. That we think that is the path that Jesus, God, is talking about in the Bible. He's talking about, you know, the paths of our future, the paths of our jobs and our location and, and how much money that we make and the stuff that we have. And we think to ourselves, well, that, that must be what God's talking about when it means paths. What's the path that you want me to take? And I, I don't think that that's true. I think the path that Christ wants us to take is the journey of our relationship with him. And the reality is, is that the paths are still 
dictated by Christ. The way that we get and fulfill the plan, it's not just that God has plans for us, but the methodology in which the way that we get those plans fulfilled still belong to Christ. Because the way that you would go is not the way God is going to go. Well, I'm pretty good. Like, I'm pretty smart. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to do this the right way. Like, I know the right way to go. Like, I know how to get I know how to get there. I know how to get there fast. I know the fastest way. I know how to avoid all the lights. And, you, and I, just, I just know how to get there. And we convince ourselves that we know the right way to get there. But it's not the right way. Christ's way is the right way. When we convince ourselves that we know the right way, it's not even the plans. We think we want, okay, well, I well. <clears throat> I'm not sure what the plans are, but I know I'm supposed, like, this is the direction I'm supposed to, this is what I'm supposed to do. Psalms chapter 5, verse 8. Here we go again. Lead me in the right path, O Lord, or my enemies will conquer me. Make me plain for me to follow. Psalm 25, 4. Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Psalm 25, verse 8. The Lord is good and does what is right. He shows the proper path to those who go astray. Psalm 25, verse 12. Those who, fear, who are those who fear the Lord? He will show them the path they should choose. Psalm 27, verse 11. Teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me along the right path. And my enemies are... For my enemies are waiting for me. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 6. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. Right? He shows us the path. He leads us in the direction that he wants us to go. And here's the key. When you're supposed to, whether you know that you're on the right path or not, is that you're following Christ is that you're following in his ways. You're following what the Bible is telling you to do. You don't know which direction to go? Well, that's not the time to spin the wheel and say, okay, well, the wheel stopped on here, and this is what I should do. No, it's time to pray. It's time to seek counsel. It's time to consider the word of God. That is how you start to make decisions and directions in your life. And until you've done those three things, then you haven't followed the will of God. You haven't followed his ways. That's how we start down the right path. And I am convinced that the path that he wants us to take is the path of righteousness and right living. When I was a, I played football in high school, and I watched football on television, and I like it. And there's something about, if you know about football at all, there's something about uh, a person who's a running back. A running back is normally someone who, who, gets the ball handed to them and that they have to run with the ball once it's handed to them and try and get as far as they can down the field. The problem is, is that there are some running backs who think they're really, really good and really, really fast. And so what they'll do is that instead of running down the field, they'll run to the side thinking to themselves, I can get around the corner or I can go this way and elude all of the other tacklers if I go around this way. And then, but the problem is, is that 
once he starts to go this way and he stops moving forward, once he stops moving forward and he starts moving to the side, people can start to catch up to him and follow him because he's, now he's not making any ground. He's just moving sideways. He hasn't actually gone forward. He's just moving sideways, thinking to himself, if I run sideways, then I'll have a better chance over here to go forward. But the problem with that idea is we think to ourselves, if I think to myself, if I just keep moving sideways, then eventually I'll find a way to go forward. When in reality, Christ wants us to go forward in him. He wants us to continue forward. And that's what a running backs are called a north and south runner. You have to run north. You've got to run forward in order to make yardage. And the only way to go forward in your life is not by trying to rearrange your life so that you would have a better opportunity over here. Or maybe you have a better opportunity over here, and then I'll go forward. Maybe I'll have a better opportunity. Maybe if I have a different job, then, then I can go forward in Christ. Or maybe if I, if I lived in this house, I can go forward. Or maybe if, if, I, if I just did this and had the relationship with this person, then I'd go forward. We're trying, to, we're trying to change the parameters of our life. We're trying to change the circumstances of our living context without realizing that the way to go forward is just our relationship with Christ. That is the north and south that we need to understand. That is the path that we need to jump onto. If we want to go forward, if we want to advance in the kingdom of Christ, let's stop thinking to ourselves, well, maybe I can, whatever. I'm not going anywhere. You were scared, weren't you? I'm not going anywhere. I'm exuding a whole bunch of energy and sweat for no reason at all. But isn't that what we do? We try and rearrange the circumstances of our life, thinking it'll be easier over here. It'll be easier if I run over here. So I'm just going to rearrange my life, and we'll, we'll start here, and then we'll try and go forward. I'll rearrange it, and we'll go over here, and then we'll start to go forward. In reality, Christ wants you to go forward right now. You may only make five or six yards in every time that you run you'll be running forward and not wasting your time running sideways. When you look at the circumstances of life and when you look at the amounts and the places and the dates and the numbers of life, that is when you start running sideways. The path that he wants you on is the path of righteousness. path of right living. And we have to trust that that is the way to advance our life. You have to trust that your relationship with Christ and your devotion to him is the thing that is going to thrust you into his purposes. It is not about you changing the circumstantial things of your life that's going to thrust you into his, into his purposes. It is your relationship with him going forward. And it might be a tough two or three yards to get forward, but I'm telling you, that is the progress we need to make. I agree. I'll stop talking real soon, don't worry. North and south, you understand what I'm saying? 
last thing, which is the, the, the last one I want to talk about. The first one was plants, Christ's plants. Second one was whole path. I didn't want to look at my notes. Thanks so much. The third thing is steps. It's steps. Here's where we can seek after God and get some answers and some help in what to do in specific situations. Because we all want that, don't we? We all want answers. I do. What's going to happen next? I don't know. Well, God, how are we going to do this? What are we going to do? Like, how do I deal with this? How do I talk to this person? What do I do about my finances? What do I do about my relationship? What do I do about this? God, like, what do I do? And we all get to that place because we, we have a relationship with him and we want to do the right thing, right? Like, I want to do what's God's will. And you do what you want to do what's God's will. It's not like you're just openly saying, eh, I don't care. Whatever. There's a part of you that because you're sitting here, you're saying to God, God, I, I want to do things your way. I want to do things the way you want me to do them. And so we ask, and so here's where you can find some peace. Here's where you can take the anxiousness out of your future. Is that I believe that you can take all of the anxiousness out of your future. If you could just, instead of praying, God, what is your plan for my life? Or what is the path I'm supposed to take in my life? If you could just pray these simple words, God, what is the next step? And that's it. What is the next step? I don't care about step 47. I don't care about step 23. God, what do you want me to do next? What do you want me to do now? Right now. And I believe it's, it's in that reality. If we can ask God for his help in the moment to deal with those momentary things in our lives, if we can ask him for help in those moments, that he will direct us in those moments. And the, pro the issue is, is that we cannot attach our plans and our paths to the steps that he wants us to take. Because a lot of times he'll tell us the step to take and we'll be like, well, that doesn't line up with the plans that I was thinking. But that's not the path that I thought I was on. I feel as though I'm stepping in the wrong direction, in the wrong path of their plans, because I have preconceived notions of what those plans and those paths are supposed to do. And so what happens is we don't take the step because it doesn't make sense to us. But it's in those steps that God puts you on the right path to achieve his plans. But it starts with obedience, church. It starts with the obedience to the Spirit. It starts with the moments that we say yes to Him when He's calling us to do something that may not make any sense at all, but He says, this is the step I want you to take. It starts with obedience. It's in, and it's in the context of that obedience that He takes us to those other places that we desperately want to go. Psalm 37, chapter 37, verse 23. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. 
he delights in every detail of their lives. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? He delights in the details of your life. The details. He delights in the details of your life. That's how close God is to us. That's, he's right beside us. He's right beside you. He's right beside me. I am yours. You are mine. We're doing this together. That's awesome. He delights in the details of their lives. Psalm 119, 133. Yes, it's a long chapter. Guide my steps by your word. I will not be overcome by evil. Proverbs 20, verse 24. The Lord directs our steps. So why and try and understand everything along the way? Right? Isn't that cool? Why try and ever try? Why are you trying to understand everything along the way? He's guiding you. He's taking where you're supposed to go. That's awesome. First Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For God called you to do good. Even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for us, he is your example. You must follow in his steps. It's his steps. It's his way. It's his plan. It's his path. He's going to direct your steps to where you need to go. So here is where you can ask. This is the moment that you can ask God for, your, for help, for wisdom. God, what is the next step? Because some of us, we get, some of us, we get so ner- nervous when we don't know what to do that we'll just do everything. Right? My mom's that way. She can't sit still. Like, we'll be at Christmas dinner, and it will, she will not be sitting anywhere. Like, she just, like, she, it, like she's gotten better over time, but when, when, like, 10 years ago, it was just like, Mom, would you just sit down and relax? No, I got to do this, and I got to do this, and I'm going to... She's amazing, but that's what she would do. She's... Sometimes we can get like that with God. We think to ourselves, well, I don't know what's going on, so I'm just going to do everything I can possibly do. And you know what? That initiative is good. I don't think you should ever not, I don't think you should ever stop trying to do the right thing. That is awesome. The Bible says that we shouldn't grow tired of trying to do the right thing. We shouldn't grow tired of doing good works. That we should continue to try and do those things. We don't want to grow tired in that, but we have to give our efforts to the now. If you're going to do something in Christ, if you're just, if you're antsy and saying, okay, God, but I want to know what's next. I want to do what you want me to do and show me what to do. Well, the answer is not necessarily standing still and being still. Yes, we need to be quiet in God's presence, but we need to be doing good now. We get, sometimes we get enamored with the plans. We get enamored with the path that we don't do anything in the now. And we think to ourselves, well, I'll get there someday. We need to engage in the now. Well, God, what am I supposed to do with the rest of my life? That doesn't matter. What matters is now. And the now, the obedience in the now, I believe, will take you to the next step that leads to the path, leads to the plans. So our heart needs to be, God, I am willing to do what you want me to do. And in the process of 
trying to come up with the answers of what to do about this relationship and what to do about this job and what to do about this situation. In the process of learning of what to do in those situations, I am going to do good. I am going to do what the Bible has told me to do. I'm going to be generous to others. I'm going to be kind to others. I'm going to be joyful. I'm going to have self-control. I'm going to engage in life, in truth, and in, in, in what God has called me to do. So in the process of me doing good, he will take me into the next step. Because there's some, th listen, there's some things that you, like there's some things that you can do in your life that you don't have to stop and pray about. Being kind to your children, you don't have to pray about that. Loving your spouse. You don't have to pray about that. That's right. You don't have to pray about that. Being kind to your coworkers. You don't have to pray about that. There are good things that you can do in the process of trying to understand what the next step is without just standing still thinking, well, since I don't know what to do next, I'm not going to do anything. I believe that God will show you the next step in the process of you doing good. Let me read you just one, one passage of scripture and we're almost done. James chapter 4. It <laughs> blows me away. James chapter 4, verse 13. Look here. Look here. You who say today or tomorrow we're going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year and we'll do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life is going to be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. Okay, the King James there says, your life is like a vapor. How's that feel, warm and fuzzy, huh? It's here a little while and then it's gone. What you ought to say is, the Lord wants us to, we'll live. We'll do this or that. Otherwise, you're boasting about your own plans. And all such boasting is evil. It doesn't mean you don't make plans. It doesn't mean you throw your calendars out the window. Please don't do that, dear. That will mess up my life. It doesn't mean you throw your calendars out the window. But God's plans for us and his paths for us and the steps that he wants us to take, they're ordered by him. He knows exactly how that we're, that we're supposed to get there. And the reason he doesn't tell us all of those things in advance is because we can't handle it. I can't handle it. I don't tell my children lots of times when we're going to do something fun. You know why? They can't handle it. Lawson hates that. He hates that. He wants to know what's going to happen. There are, I purposely don't tell them this is what we're doing today because you know what it'll be like after that? When are we going? When are we going? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And, and so they get so excited about what they're going to do. What are we going to go? When are we going to go? How are we going to get there? When is it going to happen? And they start bouncing off the walls. They can't handle it. Can you imagine if God just dropped your whole future in front of you? You would blow up. You'd go crazy. 
well, what do you mean I have to go through that to go through that? Ah, ah, ah. I don't know if I, whoa, 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 whoa. You couldn't handle it. So stop trying to get it. You would be blown away by the plans that he has for you. And the problem is, is that as soon as he dropped his plans in our lap, we would automatically think to ourselves, well, this is how I get there, and this is how I get there, and this is what I would do, and this is the step I need to take, and, and now I got it all figured out. Okay, see you, God. What do I need you for? You wouldn't be able to handle it. And that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean you're no good. It doesn't mean that you somehow failed. It doesn't mean that you're somehow less than the person. No one could handle it. He's God. His plans are higher. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He's planning an entire species and people and millions and billions and billions of people all at once. You can't handle it. I can't handle it. So let's break it down. Break it down. In the midst of me doing good, God, show me the next. In the midst of me doing good, show me the next step. And I'll learn to walk in your ways trust in your plans. Would you pray with me this morning? I'm actually going to ask the whole worship team to come up. Just bow, just bow your heads with me, just for a minute. We're going to sing the song that we just, we ended the worship service off with. Church, I want you to take a moment, we have a few minutes this morning, I want you to take a moment and examine your life, and if you would, maybe there's some anxiety that you have, some anxiousness about the future, about tomorrow. And I believe that God just wants to unburden you today. I believe he just wants to unburden you. He just wants to take that burden away from you. Because my plans for my life are way bigger. I can't even conceive of what God wants to do. And, it's, and when I kind of when I try and control my own destiny, that's when I get overwhelmed. How about you? How about you? What's it like when you try and control your own destiny? When you try and make your own plans for your life? How overwhelmed? How anxious do you get? How frustrated do you get with the outcomes of that? I know for me, I get nervous and scared. And that's just not what God's plan for my life is. This morning, I just want us to take a few moments 
as we listen to the music play and just say, God, help me. Help me to block out controlling my own life. Help me to trust you with the plans, the paths, and the steps. bow your heads just talk with God for a minute he wants to bless your whole life he delights in the details speak one more thing into your life. Please know that your mistakes do not control the success rate of God's plans in your life. He can overcome any mistake. some time to pray this morning where you can come and come and pray up at these altars or just even in your seat or just just kind of take some moment to spend with God. These are these aren't easy questions. This is not easy this is not easy stuff. I understand. It's life changing stuff. It impacts our whole life. I get it. So I want us to make sure that we take the moments that we need to take. So just as the worship team begins to sing the song, if you'd like to come and pray I can pray with you, or you can just pray by yourself, whatever you want to do. What if we just give it to God and allow Him to release the burden in our life? Take my life.
church just worship him I surrender to you, God. Give it to him. My whole life is yours. My whole life. My whole life is yours. I give it all. Surrender to your name. And forever I will pray. Have your way. Have One more time. Way. Sing my whole life. Oh, my whole life is yours. I give it all, surrender to your name. And forever I will pray, have your way, have your Father, that is the simple prayer we pray this morning to have your way in our lives, to have your way in our lives. And so, God, as we are in the midst of doing good, we pray that you would show us the next steps of our life. God, that we would trust in your plans, that we would trust in your paths. God, not trying to take control of our own lives, not trying to take control of our own destiny. God, we realize, we just affirm this morning that your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And that your plans would completely, 
confuse us, Lord God. So, Lord, we trust you. You died for us. You suffered and sacrificed your life for us, Lord God. Why wouldn't I trust someone who was willing to give their lives for mine? So, Father, we just re-say it over, God. We trust you. We trust you. We trust you. And in the midst of us asking our questions, Lord God, may we not get so anxious. May we not get so afraid of the future. But God, that we would focus on the now. That you would help us to do good right now, Lord God. In whatever context that we're in. And in the process of that, God. Show us the step. To the right path. And the right plan. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. God, I thank you that you walk with us with every step, that every detail of our life, God, you delight in it. That means you're a part of it. That means you love us so much that you don't leave us not for one second. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Lead us and guide us today. God, I believe that there are answers, Lord God, in store for the people of our church in this next coming week as they do good. So, Lord, I pray that you would reveal those things, God, that we might praise your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless your church. You're dismissed.